We learned last week a little bit about how God fully knows us. He knows everything about us. He even knows the thoughts that we think. And that can be a little creepy, and that can be a little embarrassing. I have to admit, I, once again, I do not have like a cool, um, you know, illustration or, you know, that kind of thing. It's, it's a little wordy, but it's good. It's good, so hang in there with me. It's a new revelation, but we learned about how we're fully known by God, but how we're also perfectly and fully loved by God. And that love drives out all of that fear of wanting to hide from God. And that thought, the Spirit just took a whole different direction into today's message. Um, Because we know that God is not only omniscient, all-knowing, He is also omnipresent, meaning that He is everywhere all the time. There is no place you can go to hide from God. Trust me, Adam and Eve tried, didn't they? It didn't work out very well. It's no fun playing hide-and-seek with God. He just he wins every time. But, I mean, there's so many scriptures we can use, but Psalm 139, again from last week, Psalm 139, verse 7 through 12, David cries out, he's like, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there, your hand will guide me. Isn't that cool? He didn't think he was going to fall off the flat earth if he went to the other side of the sea. He, he knew there was a place over there. I love when the Bible and science jive way before science knew it. Even there, your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely darkness will hide me. Well, even if the light becomes night around me, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. And so, on the 31st, there's some some light getting cast out into darkness here. Make sure you join us if you can. (coughs) So here's the revelation. Although God is omnipresent, He is everywhere all the time. You cannot escape the presence of God. There is a big difference, a huge difference between God's general presence available and the presence of God. It sounds like double talk, but it's just true. And here's a way that we can understand it in an earthly sense. How we can be in God's presence all the time, and yet there's a difference between being in God's general presence and being like face-to-face in God's presence. We know this is true because we've all been there. When you're physically present with somebody while they weren't present with us. You're present, but they're not present. As a preacher, you experience this often when it's like, you know, you're looking at what's out there. But, right, you've experienced this. You can be standing face-to-face with someone, talking to them, pouring your heart out to them, and yet they're looking all over the room, you know, seeing what else is going on back there and over there while you're talking to them. Or, you know, they're, they're scrolling through their phone or, you know, whatever. You're present, yet they're not present, if, if that makes sense. They're generally present. They're physically there, but you don't have their attention, They're not present. Their attention, their focus are elsewhere. And as Sharon shared this morning, I love when the Holy Spirit does this. He does it all the time. He does not want us to be divided in our attention and in our hearts. He wants all of our heart, soul, mind, soul, and strength. You know, everything. He wants all that we are. He doesn't want us to be divided. And this is what this means. He wants us to be present with him. 
He longs to be present with us. That's why he poured out the Holy Spirit inside of our lives. So his presence is always with us. But are we present to him? Are we making ourselves available to him? Or are we divided? Is our tension or focus elsewhere? Hmm. This is especially heartbreaking. Whenever you live your life with somebody and they're never really present. They don't understand you. They don't get you. They don't know your heart, your mind. There's always disagreements and you're just always out of sync. You know, they just don't get us. And they really don't make an effort toward getting to know us either. They're present, but they're not present. And this is so often true in our relationship with God. He's always physically there, but we're not really seeking after his presence. We're not giving him our undivided attention. We know a lot about him, but we don't really know him. We can quote all kinds of scriptures about what he's like and what he's done, but we don't really know him. We can't remember the last time that he spoke to us personally. We can't remember the last time that we encountered and experienced his presence. We don't really know what's on his heart and in his mind in situations. We kind of bounce through life and we don't really know what God wants of us. We don't know his will. We don't understand it. And that's because we haven't given him that attention. Because there's a, there's a huge difference. And this is another physical way, biblical way of looking at it. When you look Old Testament at the tabernacle that, that God instructed Moses to build. Or the first or second temples. Or the third temple that's coming. Um, it, when you look at that, there's a huge difference. There's only feet separating the general public from the outer courts. The outer courts from the inner courts. And the inner courts from the Holy of Holies. Where the Ark of the Covenant was and God's presence dwelt. Where the mercy seat was there. It was just a few physical feet, but it was a huge difference. God wanted to give us this physical representation and manifestation that, yes, God is omnipresent. He's always there. But there is a huge difference between entering into the Holy of Holies, straight into his presence. Huge difference. Moses understood this very well, having spent time. He was an Egyptian prince. He was a Hebrew slave. He was a guest in a priest's home. He climbed the very mountain of God. He walked through the darkness and the cloud, and he met God face to face. He understood there's a difference between the presence of God down at the foot of the mountain and the presence of God into the glory cloud, straight into his presence face to face. Um, and, and Moses said this. He said to the Lord, you've been telling me, lead these people. And we quote the scripture often, but it's so powerful. But you haven't let me know whom you will send with me. You've said, I know you. I know you by name. God knows us, right? We are fully known by God. In fact, we found favor with him. But Moses said, if you're pleased with me, then teach me your way so that I may know you. We are fully known by God. But do we really want to fully know God? Do we want to seek after him and press into him? Do we want to know what's on his heart and on his mind? Moses was desperate to do it. He said, teach me your way so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember, this nation is your people. It's your people. And he goes on and he says, the, of course, the Lord replied, well, my presence will go with you. Notice the capital P. It's the person of God. It's the cloud by day and the pillar of uh, fire by night. It was the Holy Spirit himself. My presence will go with you and I will give you rest. There is rest in the presence of God. 
you will not find rest in this world. It doesn't matter how many hours you sleep. There's the only place where you can find rest for your soul. Not just rest for your body, but rest for your soul is in the presence of God. And so the Lord replied, so my presence will go with you. I'll give you rest. And Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. And then he goes on and he says, how will anyone know that you're pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people in the face of the earth? What separates us from the, those who are not yet saved? The presence of God is the only thing that separates us and makes us any different, that distinguishes us. That's what makes us different and unique. We are temples of the Holy Spirit. It's his presence within us. But if God's presence is everywhere all the time, why would Moses demand that God's presence goes with him? Why would he refuse to even take another step unless his presence, that intimate presence, went with them? Encountering God's presence was so important that Moses chose to set apart a place and purposed it so that anyone could enter into it. And he called it the tent of the meeting. This is how important it was to Moses that not just him, not just he would have that glory cloud face-to-face encounter, but everyone was allowed to go into the tent of the meeting. This is so cool to think about because we know in the temple only one, one, that great high priest once a year was allowed to go into the Holy of Holies. Everyone was welcome to go in. So it said Moses used to take a, take a tent and pitch it outside the camp because we know they were traveling, right? They were vagabonds. They, they were wandering around in the wilderness. If you don't know what that word means, it's just a person who wanders aimlessly, you know, a vagabond. And so they would set up this tent of the meeting. Anyone who was inquiring of the Lord would go into that um, tent of the meeting that was outside the camp. But whenever Moses would go to the tent, everyone rose and stood At the entrance to their own tents. They would watch until he would enter. And when he would enter, they would worship. They would worship the Lord while the Lord would speak with Moses. Anytime that they saw that pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, they would all stand and worship. They would respond to the presence of God. And then the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend in verse 11. Then Moses would return to the camp, but his young aide Joshua, son of Nun, would not leave the tent. He stayed in the presence of God. Mm. Why are we so quick to leave and to get back to the things of this world? How much more successful would you be in life if we want to put it that way if you carried the presence of god if you're hungry for the presence of god if your purpose in life was to carry the presence of god out to a world that is so in need of rest for their weary souls if we carried the presence to them and we see here this is the revelation long before moses longed for god's presence to go with him and to stay with him long before joshua chose to remain in the presence of god long before david well actually yeah this was after david followed the lord's prescribed ways to approach the lord's presence there was one person long before all those guys one person who did not want to leave the presence of god and i have never seen this before 
even though it's black and white. I don't know how I missed it all these times I've read the story. So maybe, maybe you already know all this and it's not new to you, but it was new to me and it just blew me away. I've never thought of this person being hungry for the presence of God and begging that it would not be taken away. If you had asked me, that would have been like David. He said, don't take your spirit from me. He saw what happened to Saul. You take away the presence of God and what happens? The enemy's rushing in and destroying your life. That's what happened to Saul. As soon as the spirit of God would depart, an evil spirit would come on him and he'd do all kinds of weird, nasty things, right? If you want to get rid of, of, of the enemy's influence in your life, if you want to get rid of those, those footholds and those strongholds, you don't necessarily need deliverance. You need more of God's presence. In fact, Jesus said, if you get delivered from an evil spirit and your house is all clean and put in order, right? You've gone through all 12 steps and you're living a good, clean life. That spirit will come back and be like, "Woo! look at that place. Dang, that place is awesome. He'll be like, hey, seven other buddies, let's go party. And the person's worse off in the end as they were in the beginning. What does a person need? They don't need a clean house put in order. Okay, ladies, lay off your spouses. They don't need a clean house put in order. They need the presence, the presence of God. They need to be full of something. We don't want to be full of evil and wickedness, and that's what you're going to be full of if you're not full of the presence of God. It's one or the other. Full of the presence of God. Okay, but I've never thought of this person. This person, his name is Cain. Cain. This person is known and remembered for all the wrong that he did, all the wicked and evil. You know, he brought the wrong offering. He ignored God. He let sin have him. He went and killed his brother. He was the first murderer. But we don't often think of Cain and remember his longing to remain in God's presence. And we find this in Genesis chapter 4, uh, verse 10 to 17. The Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood is crying out to me from the ground. You are under a curse. You are driven from this ground, which opened up to receive your brother's blood from your hand. Now when you work the ground, it will no longer yield crops. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. A vagabond. It's a cool word. I had to look it up because I didn't know what it meant whenever I heard that song the first time. Cain, the first vagabond. And that's what we think of when we think of Cain. That's what I think of when I think of Cain. But listen to what Cain said. It said, Cain said to the Lord, oh yeah, Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is more than I can bear. Today you're driving me from the land and I will be hidden from your presence. I'll be a restless wanderer on the earth and whoever finds me will kill me. Cain did not want to be hidden from God's presence. He was the first one to long not to lose it. But the Lord said to him, not so. Anyone who kills Cain will suffer vengeance seven times over. Then the Lord marked Cain so that anyone who found him would not kill him. So Cain went out from the Lord's presence. Cain went out from the Lord's presence and lived in the land of Nod. Nod, by the way, just literally means wandering. He just went out wandering through this. He, he, he was the first pioneer, you know, out there on the, the frontier. Going out through on the eastern side of um, Eden. And then Cain made love to his wife. She became pregnant, gave birth to Enoch. Cain was then building a city and named it after his son, Enoch. And so here we see that although God's presence is 
everywhere all the time. He's omnipresent. Cain was the first human to ever experience the difference between his general omnipresent presence and his face-to-face, like a friend, hanging out with him. He lost that. He was the first human to ever experience that difference between his general presence and his intimate presence. Although his mom and dad, they tried to hide from God's presence, right? They tried to hide from it. This is the first time that God's presence was hidden from a man. Man has tried to hide from his presence and couldn't do it. This is the first time that God's presence was hidden from a person. Adam and Eve, they were banned from the garden and, uh, you know, they were sent back to the land which Adam was formed in the mud. It's kind of cool to think about too, you know. Formed Adam in the mud in one place and he took him into the Garden of Eden. And then when he sinned, God took Adam and Eve and put them back out into that same land that he was formed from to work the land there. But they still had full access to God's presence. They didn't lose that. Adam and Eve were taken from the Garden of Eden for their own safety, so they wouldn't eternally, so they wouldn't eat from the tree of life, so they wouldn't eternally be in a state of sin. It was for their own good that they were taken from the Garden of Eden because God is sparing that tree so that one day when we, with our sins forgiven, we get to eat from that tree again. What started in the Garden of Eden ends in a garden. Check out in Revelation. It's really cool. You get to eat from the tree of life and live eternally. It's so cool. But God didn't want us to be eternally in this state of sin and separation from him. God wanted us to eternally be forgiven, free, redeemed, nothing between us. Anyways, I, I kind of rabbit trolled here. But this included their children, Cain and Abel. We see them both bringing offerings to the Lord. We see Cain's personal conversation face-to-face with God. Whenever, whenever God was like, Cain, what? sin wants to have you. It's crouching and waiting for you, but you've got to overcome it. They were face-to-face still with God. They were still conversing and talking. Of course, Cain didn't heed God's advice. He gave in. And so Adam and Eve were the first ones not only to lose their child Abel to murder, they also lost Cain. Sometimes we don't think about that either. They lost two children. Two children by this one sin. See, everyone suffers when you sin. When you're a bonehead and you make a mistake and you sin, everyone suffers, especially your family. It never just affects you. And so they lost Cain, taken out from even that place where they were. So Cain went on, what did he do? Without the presence of God, built a city for himself. He started building man's kingdom. That's what he did. He built a city for himself. And his son's name, Enoch. His descendants, they were rock stars and blacksmiths and mountain men. And they kept on murdering too. They, they, well, that's how I view them. But the, the Bible says that, uh, that they lived in tents and raised livestock. That they played stringed instruments and pipes. That they forged all kinds of tools out of bronze and iron. And yes, they did murder. So that's what Cain's bloodline went on to do. And then in verse 25, it says that Adam made love to his wife again. And she gave birth to a son and named him Seth. It's a pretty good name, right? It's an awesome, awesome name. You know that name? That name it actually has different meanings that all have the same idea. The first one is buttocks. So, yay, Seth, great name. <laughs> but it also means appointed or compensated or granted. What it literally means is like you were set. 
You know, that's hence the term buttocks because that's what you sit on. That's, you're set, you know, set in place. That's, that's the, the idea and the concept of the, the, the name Seth in the Hebrew is that it's set in place. It's granted. It's compensated. It's appointed. It's given. It's granted. And then Adam said, God has granted me another child. Or, I'm sorry, that wasn't Adam. That was Eve who said, why does women always get to? Nate was supposed to be Drew Allen. But no, Becky didn't like that. The women get to name the children. Why is that? Now we have a Nathaniel Isaac, but I'll tell you. Anyways, another rabbit trail for another time. Eve named him Seth, saying, God has granted me another child in the place of Abel since Cain killed him. Seth also had a son and named him Enosh. And at that time, people began to call on the name of the Lord. So Cain went off and started building man's kingdom. Seth went off started seeking after God's kingdom. And I, in the Hebrew, it's really hard to translate, and so I'm just going through all these translations. So they began to call on the name of the Lord. New Living Translation, they began to worship the Lord by name. Yahweh! New Century Version, they began to pray to the Lord. The Amplified. At the same time, man began calling on the name of the Lord in worship, through prayer, praise, and thanksgiving. In the message translation, that's when men and women began praying and worshiping the name of the Lord. Seth's bloodline became worshipers and seekers of God. They carried on that, that, that able mentality of bringing to the Lord an offering that is right and holy, what he has prescribed. Cain left God's presence and began building man's kingdom in the name of men. Seth remained, he was set, he remained in God's presence, just like Joshua, just like Cain wanted to be, remained in God's presence and began to seek God's kingdom in the name of the Lord. Cain's name means acquired, I did it, that's what Adam said, I did it with the Lord's help, I did it. Seth's name means granted, it was done for me. Cain's genealogy ends with the flood. Never goes beyond chapter 6 of Genesis. That's why you don't find his genealogy in chapter 5. Seth's genealogy includes Abraham. Well, let's start with Adam. Abraham. Jacob, later named Israel. David. And eternally, his bloodline continues through Jesus. You can find that in 1 Chronicles chapter 1 and Luke chapter 3. Seth was included in the bloodline of the righteous. His bloodline was blessed and last for all eternity. Cain's genealogy ended with the flood. All of Cain's work and all of his descendants were destroyed in the flood. But Seth's work and Seth's descendants were spared in the flood and continued forever. What we build on our own, we have to sustain on our own with our own resources. But what the Lord builds, what we build in cooperation with the Lord, He will sustain. He will resource. It's easy to look down on, on you know, taking time to seek after God's presence. But nothing could be farther from the truth that is a lie of the enemy. Seeking the presence of God is the only way to be a wise builder. 
that when the floods come and the rain, because it's going to come on everybody, it rains on the just and the unjust. But the only way that you are going to be spared, the only way that the work of your hands is going to be sustained in resources if you're building in cooperation with the Lord. In fact, we all know this um, psalm, right? Um, sorry, yeah, I forgot to click ahead. Psalm 127, unless the Lord builds a house, the, labor, the builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand and watch. Yes, we do our part. We work, but we're doing it in cooperation with the Lord so he can bless it. In verse 2, it says, in vain, 127 verse 2, in vain you rise up early, you stay up late, you toil for food to eat because he grants sleep to those he loves. So whose example are we going to follow? Whose example are we going to follow? Will we be like Seth or like Cain? Will we labor and toil on our own, focusing on our own selves and our own needs, and it's just never going to be enough? You're going to rise up early and stay up late, and yet enough is just never, ever enough? Or will we be co-laborers with Christ, toiling in the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, focusing everything that we do on glorifying His name? Right? We know the scripture from Colossians. In all the work you're doing, work the best you can. Or the NIV in King James says, with all your heart. Do it with all your heart, all your might. Work as if though you're doing it for the Lord, not for people. Remember that you will receive your reward from the Lord, which he promised to his people. You are serving the Lord Christ. So whatever you are doing, whether it's at school or in the workplace or in the community or in your, you know, in your family, if you've got chores to do, don't do it begrudgingly and complaining and whining. Do it with all your heart. Because God sees it and God knows it and God will reward it. And trust me, I have give, I've given testimony before. I have worked under some really harsh employers who lied about the work I was doing and took credit for things I was doing, and I never had to defend myself. The Lord, at the right time, revealed truth and rewarded the work. He will do it. He sees it all. And your reward is coming from the Lord, not from people. It may come through people, but ultimately he knows what you're doing. He sees what you're doing. So keep up the good work, right? Because the truth is, it isn't so much what we're doing, this scripture doesn't, whatever you're doing, whatever you're doing, it doesn't matter what it is. It is so easy to look down on some tasks and to look down on some roles in the body of Christ and to exalt and to glorify and to honor others. But the reality is it doesn't matter what we're doing. As long as we're doing what the Lord has called us to do and we're doing it with, for the purpose for which we were created, then it's going to be blessed. In fact, we were created to work even before sin entered the picture. That was one of the purposes for Adam's existence. God created Adam to work the field. Nothing had sprung up until Adam began to work it. It's really cool to think about. But after Adam sinned, then his work would be hard and opposed. Thorns and thistles in opposition. It's about our attitude. It's about our motive behind what we do. Do we give our work our everything? Do we go above and beyond? Do we look for beyond our responsibilities and, and see that it is Jesus that we are serving and working for? Do we work with expectation that it is Jesus who will reward our work and bless the work of our hands? Or do we get caught up in our everyday chores and the work that we're doing and, and just look at it from an earthly sense like Cain did? Or do we look beyond it the way that Seth did? 
Are we content with the general presence of God around us? Or do we have a hunger and thirst for more? More of his presence. Do we want a a deeper encounter with the intimate presence of God face to face? Are we looking around the room in our phones when Jesus is inviting us into an encounter with him? Jesus can be standing there knocking and asking and seeking. And we're just too busy, you know? Got to catch them all or whatever it is that you're doing or crush all that candy. I don't know. Whatever is building your kingdom, right? It was a, a lot of the new games. And What do we spend our time doing? Are we giving God something he can bless? Are we really wanting him? Are we really wanting him, his presence? Because when Cain was standing face to face with the Lord, imploring that his punishment was more than he could bear, he knew what he would be missing without God's presence. He knew what he was missing. What Cain begged not to lose. We too often willingly neglect. We willingly neglect what Cain begged not to lose. We have access to the personal, intimate presence of God at any time, at any place, anywhere. But how often do we really intentionally seek after it? Or is everything else more important? God isn't saying that those other tasks aren't important. God wants you to seek first his kingdom so that he can bless everything else that you do. He wants to bless it. Deep, meaningful connections do not happen accidentally. Deep, meaningful connections happen intentionally, right? Intentionally. It's when we set up a meeting with someone to discuss a topic. It's when we plan date nights with our spouse, a significant other. It's when we choose to, you know, the, the play dates with our kids or hang out time with our kids that we truly connect with them and get to know them and get to know their hearts and get to know what's on their minds. When you truly connect with somebody, it takes intention. It doesn't accidentally happen. It's in those times when you get to know them. When Cain was about to lose connection with the intimate presence of God, he revealed these three things, three things that he would miss most, that he would be losing. This is what the presence of God provides for us. This is what the presence of God provides for us. Quickly, it provides purpose. Cain said, I will be a restless wanderer on the earth, just a vagabond. God's presence provides purpose. He created us on purpose and for a purpose. Adam was formed to work the grounds of the Garden of Eden. Eve was created to be a helper. Jeremiah was created to be a prophet to the nations. And you are no different. Before you were formed in your mother's womb, God knew the purpose for which you were created. He knows you fully. And he wants to fully reveal to you why you are the way you are. Why you were uniquely created from everyone else. So that you can understand the purpose behind it. You're only going to find your purpose when you seek after him so that he can reveal that to you. God does not want us to just restlessly wander throughout this life, but to live our lives intentionally, purposefully, and fully. God's presence, the presence of God also provides protection. Cain said, whoever finds me will kill me. It is within the shelter of God's presence that we find safety and refuge. It was when God's people, the nation of Israel, it was when they were obediently following his lead that they were kept safe from the nations around them. 
And it was when they chose to sin, to follow other gods, to forsake their God. God just called it what it is. When, when they would choose to cheat on him, when they'd commit adultery on God, that's when God would be like, okay, you're on your own. And when he would lift that presence, the enemies would come rushing in. It's no different today in the spiritual realm. As, as I just shared earlier, Jesus said, you know, when, when we choose to leave the presence of God, well, the enemy comes rushing in. We need the presence of God. It's when we're following the lead of the Holy Spirit that we are kept safe. Even when we're taken into the most dangerous of situations. Follow, if you've never connected with the resource, the voice of the martyrs, see what's happening to the persecuted church out there. Take a look at the New Testament. It wasn't that they were physically safe, but yet they were in the safest place they could possibly be. It only makes sense. <laughs> Sounds like double talk again. It only makes sense. When you have a kingdom mindset, you realize that even in the most dangerous corners of the earth, the safest place you can be is in the center of the will of God and in the presence of God. Then you can be like Stephen, when even when they were stoning him to death, he saw Jesus and he couldn't wait to be with him. Nothing can stop you. No fear can overtake you when you're found in the presence of God. And there's so many scriptures we can turn to to reaffirm this truth. But I'm going to go to Psalm 27, a Psalm of David. He said, when the wicked advance against me to devour me. There is no man hunted like David, if you just read his account. He said, it's my enemies and even my foes who will stumble and fall. Though an army may besiege me, though my heart will not fear. Though a war may break out against me, even then I'll be confident. Because there's only one thing that I've asked of the Lord. There's only one thing that I seek. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. David was singular focus. Not divided of heart. Not divided of attention. He didn't care what rose up against him. He didn't cry out that his enemies would be defeated. He cried out, Lord, your presence. This is the one thing I seek. That I may dwell in your house forever. To gaze, he goes on in verse 4. To gaze on the beauty of the Lord. To seek after him in his temple. For even in the day of trouble, he'll keep me safe in his dwelling, in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his sacred tent. He will hide me upon a high rock. Just such a cool picture. And I could go on and on and on. There's so many scriptures about this, about the refuge and protection that we find in the presence of the Lord, not in any other place. You could go to the greatest refuge that ever existed in the face of the earth. You go to the depths of the earth, you know. You're not going to be safe there unless you're in the presence of God. The presence of God lastly provides um, preservation. And I'm kind of using the same statement, whoever finds me will kill me. There is something about us that we know that we were purposed and created for something greater than ourselves. Something that will last beyond ourselves. Preservation. Beyond living out that purpose here and now in the safety of God, we also want to leave behind a legacy. We want to make a positive impact on those around us that last beyond ourselves, especially when you transition into the, um, you know, into the, the, um, the from, you know, parenthood into great-grandparents, -grand right? You know, you want to leave something to your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren. You want to leave an impact behind. Now, in comparison to the eternal presence of God, our lives are very short and temporary. The Bible likens it to the grass of the field. It's here today, it's gone tomorrow. Oh, man. 
love it when the grass is gone tomorrow. I put my mower away. I did it. I've made the proclamation that grass is gone tomorrow. I do not have to mow it ever again till spring comes around and God breathes life into it, you know. But, but we are so temporary. But when we remain in the presence of God, we are preserved along with the work of our hands for all eternity. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 11 talked about this firm foundation, this rock on which we stand, right? The foundation that has already been laid is Christ Jesus. No one can lay any other foundation. And verse 12 says, but people who build on that foundation using gold, silver, jewels, wood, grass, or straw, their work will be clearly seen because the day of judgment will make it visible. All the guys in the men's Bible study can tell me about that day of judgment, right? Yep. It's going to reveal the work of our hands. The day will appear with fire. And that fire will test everyone's work to show what kind of work it was. If you guys ever watch Forge and Fire, I love that show. And they test the work of their hands to see whether it can stand up. It may look good, but it may be nothing. All of the work that we have done with our hands is going to be laid bare before everyone to see by the fire of God. That day will appear with fire, the fire will test everyone's work and show what kind of work it was. If the building that has been put on the foundation still stands, the builder gets a reward. But if the building is burned up, the builder will suffer loss. They'll be saved, but it's as one just escaping the fire. Don't you know that you are God's temple and the God's spirit lives within you? See, our work here can gain for us an eternal reward. Preserve not only your life, but the work of your hands eternally far beyond this earthly existence. And it can only happen in the presence of God through the Holy Spirit within us that we can live our eternal life beginning here and now and build something that is preserved for all eternity. Living and building wisely using kingdom jewels that far outlast our earthly existence. So, with all this being said, we need to seek after the presence of God. It provides purpose. It provides protection. It provides preservation. Honestly, it provides everything your heart's longing for, everything your soul needs. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, general self-control. I think I said one twice. It's only the presence of God through the Holy Spirit that you experience these things. The world can't offer them. But we only receive them when we intentionally seek after God's presence. When we choose to be like Seth and set our buttocks firmly in it. When we remain in the presence of God, when we are planted in it, that our roots can grow deep so that we can remain in it like Seth and not be like Cain who painfully lost it and was taken from it. Let's not be content with just knowing that, yeah, God's always with us, always for us. His presence is always around us. Let's not be content with his general presence at all, but instead boldly and confidently and sacrificially seek after his presence. And the way that we seek after his presence, you will always find these two things coupled together, the presence of God and worship of God. Always. We, we, we don't just see that in the tabernacle. We see that in the temple. David actually had worship happening before the Lord 24-7, 365. 
constantly people singing and playing instruments and declaring prophecy. Worship. It looked like a, a, a New Age, you know, Pentecostal service. And really all it is is going back to true, authentic, proper worship. Those things were happening in the temple day and night. He appointed 12 teams of 12 men to do it, to lead it. There's a, a direct correlation between worshiping God and entering into his presence because you're giving him, you're building him a throne. You're giving him something to, to, to come and to, to make himself manifest in. Let's pursue those face-to-face -face encounters just like Joshua did. Get into the tent of meeting. Get into the presence of God and stay there. Linger there. Get hungry and thirsty for more. Don't let yourself be content with yesterday's manna. Go into that tent being like, you know what? That stuff's moldy today. I want the fresh stuff. I want the today stuff, the here and now stuff. Get to know God's heart and his mind personally. He wants to fully reveal himself to you even as we are fully known by him. He wants to share his heart and his mind with us. It's important to know the written word of God. So important. Because you do get to know things about God that way. But there is nothing that compares to personally encountering the presence of God when he speaks to you. Nothing gives you a boldness and courage and confidence like that. Knowing who you are, why you are. Fear of man melts away. It doesn't matter what people say or think about you anymore because you are his. And you have a purpose. In God's presence alone, you will find purpose, protection, and preservation. So why go anywhere else, right? All right, so let's just close. If I could have the worship team come forward. I'm not going to close in prayer. We get so caught up in our religious things that, you know, I got to... We've got to open this way and close that way. If I could have the worship team uh, come forward. And we're going to end in worship. We're going to end in worship. And I am just going to invite you on behalf of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Because he's the one opening up the invitation. He's here. His presence is here in this place. And his presence is home when you go there. And his presence is at work and at school in that place that you hate. He's there. Turn to him. Turn to him and see what he can do in that place. He is your firm foundation. He will never let you go. He will never turn away from you, right? So let's just enter in. The altar's open. Flags are available. The aisles are wide. Your chair's right there if you just want to set it out. Um, but I'll encourage you. All those things that are on your heart and mind, that are dividing you right now from the goodness of God. If you can't see God's goodness in it and through it, then let's turn and look at it and seek after his presence and allow his goodness to manifest itself in all those other areas of life where the storms are raging right now. Get back on that firm foundation where he covers you with his wings under the safety of his refuge where nothing matters but the warmth of his presence. Matthew 6, Jesus told us to seek that. Seek it first. Everything else will be taken care of. Everything else will be taken care of.
So let's just worship again with firm foundation. And don't let these just be words on a screen or words in your mouth. Let them be worship. Mean in your soul and in your spirit what you say. And even if your soul doesn't believe it yet, proclaim it in faith until your spirit and your soul comes along and gets in line with the word of God. Oh, yeah. I move away from that mic, and no matter where I go, just like the presence of God, a mic is following me. You can't escape the presence of God, right? <laughs> Woo! He is a Thank you, Lord. Well, be blessed. You're going to make it. Amen. This is going to end in God's glory. Amen? Amen? Amen. Go out there and enjoy. Enjoy this life he has given you. Whew.